We are the School of Canine Science and this is Sent for Six. This week we'll introduce our target odour to the dogs, but as always I'm going to give you three different methods and discuss the pros and cons of each. The first is using the scent containment Experienced device. Experienced bloodhounds had a success rate of 96% with no false indications. This is ludicrously high and yet German Shepherds, Labradors, Spaniels and Collies remain the dog of choice for scent work. So why is that? Perhaps it's not just about genetics and hardware, what about the so trends in order in to be perceived as scent, the odour molecule must be dissolvable. Why? Because when it lands on the mucous membrane of the epithelium covering those turbinates, it needs to be dissolved at this stage for the cilia to pick up the signal and carry The benefit on. of increasing the dog's sniffing frequency through this exercise isn't solely to improve their detection fitness, but more importantly, allows them the opportunity to practice. Errors in handling creating false indication, but here's the thing. In 2014, a group of scientists got together to have a look at the impact of stress on the performance of explosive detection dogs. The first thing the researchers did was... I wish toxicity was that simple, but it's just not black and white like people think it is. Ultimately, everything is toxic. If you want to understand this properly, we need to start with the fundamental concept of LD50, the median lethal dose. To learn more about this one-of-a-kind olfaction course, check out canine-science.online or click the link in the show notes for a 20% discount. Welcome to Talking Sense, the podcast where we discuss all things detection dogs. Broadcasting from Scent City at the Ford Canine Training Center in Las Vegas, here's your host, Cameron Ford. Hello, welcome to Canines Talking Sense, another episode here at Silver State Canine. While the National Rodeo Association is having their uh, event here in Las Vegas, I've got a few other guests that have been in town and actually just got done attending our canine explosive identification and safety course here at Silver State Canine. I've got Justin Rigney and Mike Lilly of Canine Services Unlimited. Uh, both of them have a uh, vast level of experience in law enforcement and working canines. Um, but I will uh, let you guys do your background. You'll do it much better than I do for explaining your background, what you've done, um, and what you guys currently have going on with your business. So with that said, Justin, I'll kind of hand it off to you first and let you kind of go. I'm going to save you a little bit here, man. It's because you're going to have some angry country folk. It's the Wranglers <laughs> National Final Rodeo, right? All right. <laughs> All right. You can thank me later. Yes, definitely. No, man. So we came out here. We reached out to you uh, um, a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. My wife raced barrel horses forever. We've been out here for the rodeo several times, so we wanted to, to piggyback it, man. We wanted to come out here and pick your brain and mm -hmm. talk to you a lot about the, uh, the storage, the chemistry, the handling, and the understanding of uh, the explosives material themselves. Mm -hmm. I think Mike and I are uh, still learning, but I think we're confident we can teach dogs how to find things. Sure. We need a better understanding of, of how to uh, apply this, this end of the house, which yeah. is crucial to the other side of the house. Mm-hmm. If you're mishandling, if you're not storing correctly, not only could you blow some shit up, but sure. you're going to cloud the scent picture. You're going to cloud add all kinds of things to the environment you do not want to have. So Absolutely. For us, too, we're, we're learning junkies. Mm -hmm. we're, uh, it's always about continuing education for us. and uh, So we're, we're grateful for the opportunity. No, I'm glad to have you guys. I mean, you and I go back a long time. We sure. both kind of started our careers in Florida 
uh, you came down from the uh, northeast, correct? Yep. And then uh, uh, both kind of doing some sports stuff back in the day. That's kind of how we crossed paths. I remember initially yep. uh, you moved your way down to South Florida and I was in Central Florida uh, doing the dog business. And then we both found ourselves in law enforcement yep. uh, working in Florida. Um Talk a little bit about your your experience as like things you've learned from dog training. Both, like you said, you started just like me doing the I would say the sport and pet side of things, and then became a professional uh, aspect as a law enforcement officer and canine handler. But kind of discuss that journey of learning and how it's applied and where it's taking you to today. Well, for sure, man. I feel extremely blessed to be able to have that experience as far as learning dog training from a civilian perspective. Mm-hmm where truly the, the, the depth and the wealth of knowledge on the civilian side is uh, it's infinite. It's mm-hmm. incredible. And it was a much more, well, it's, it's getting better in law enforcement, but it's much more welcoming and mm-hmm. opening to, to sharing of that information. So it's what I call being, um, uh, you're, you're kind of a geographical hostage back in the day before sure. social media. So yep. I've, I've been fortunate enough to be playing these games for about 27 years. My early experience in dog training was with some extremely qualified mm-hmm very talented people who are yep. very willing to um, share their minds, share their experience, open their homes and businesses to me, mm-hmm. um, just on the simple hello, man. Yeah. And with that relationship with a guy named Chris Byrne, yep. I'm very dear friends with today. And he had a business called Dogs Unlimited mm-hmm. uh, in Stanford, Connecticut. Okay. So I got fired from the Atlanta Braves. He got mm-hmm. booted out. Yep. It's the only job I've been fired <laughs> from. Um, I was really looking to find a career in dog training, so... Again, Chris opened up his his mind, his business, his home to me, mm-hmm. taught me a lot. On the very first day, I mm-hmm. met him. I was yeah. running a guard dog service with him, <laughs> where I was uh, picking up asshole dogs from a construction lot or yep. a car lot, or they had kennels on site. So managing asshole dogs and aggressive mm-hmm. dogs was kind of an early experience. And then everything from puppy classes to obedience to bite work to detection really ran a gamut. Kennel management, mm-hmm. I was hooked. You know, I was hooked in there. And from that relationship, I met a guy named John Rodriguez. This is up in Connecticut as well, mm-hmm. who is the training director for the Connecticut Working Dog Association, which was a powerhouse of IPO back okay. in the day. And uh, they're just blown away at the level of training and the caliber of dogs. Mm-hmm. So, again, I didn't have to stumble my way through finding out shit was wrong years down the road or find out techniques mm-hmm. were just nonsense. I was just blessed to be able to have that early experience. And I was still a little bit of an athlete back then, going back 20-plus years. And you know, they threw me in the suit and the sleeves right away and taught me how to work. And I had monsters to learn on. Sure. Monsters that educated me. Back in the day, they were, they were strong, strong mm-hmm. dogs. And, uh, in, that, in that club, the Connecticut Police, I'm sorry, the Connecticut Working Dog Association, it shared the facility or the field mm-hmm. uh, with the training director of the Connecticut Police Working Dog Association, okay. a guy named Bill Scribner, mm-hmm. who was a Napawata group up there. Gotcha. Same thing. He saw that I was a good, you know, he put on the suit and take yep. a meeting. Yep. So I was decoying Napawata certifications mm-hmm. and helping the guys out with, with weekly proficiency training. Then I got hooked. Yeah, I got hooked for the law enforcement bug. Yep. You know, back then they passed around Polaroids of the dog yeah. bites. <laughs> yeah, I remember. A lot of our listeners don't remember that. Yeah. yeah. And just you know the war stories, man. The chases, the the, the dog bites, the camaraderie. I'm mm-hmm. like, that, I got to have this, man. So back then, this is going back in the late '90s in, in Connecticut. You had the opposite problem that was going on in Florida, mm-hmm. and which they're experiencing today. Is in Connecticut there was two or three hundred applicants for one or two police jobs. Yep. You, you couldn't get hired unless you knew somebody. Yeah. At that point in time, I was really heavily into Schutz and IPO, doing a lot of pet training, mm-hmm. and I met Phil Holscher, yep. who's a uh, Schutz and powerhouse. Oh, yeah. Phil. I remember a lot of stuff from Phil. Yep. Yep. Just like the grandfather of Schutz. Oh, yeah. So 
he'd come up to Connecticut twice a year and put on a, a, a seminar for okay. an IPO club when I clicked. Yep. And uh, he immediately gave me an opportunity to come down. He gave me some of his private clients to mm-hmm. do light work with, some pet training. There's a girl in that, his club, the South Florida Shipton Club, um, named Robin Holly. Yep. Who's still involved with that club. Yeah. I just saw her a couple weeks ago at, Did a, you? at an IPO event. Nice. She let me rent a room from her. Uh-huh. She let me set up kennels in her barn. It, it wow. was God's plan. God yeah. put these people in my life, yep. me in their lives, and it just, from then on, just spiraled. So I went down to uh, South Florida. I uh, was competing in IPO, doing mm-hmm. helper work, trying to get into you know, work some national events as a helper. And one of the club members, a guy named Marlon Lewis, mm-hmm. a very good friend of mine still today, he... Uh, it was involved in the government of the town of Davie mm-hmm. in South Florida, which is, for the listeners who don't know, it's just north of Miami, right around Fort mm-hmm. Lauderdale, mm-hmm. Broward County. So Marlon, I think he's the number two guy in uh, the government there in the town of Davie. He introduced me to a guy named Greg Mize, who okay. was a sergeant of the Davie Police Department canine unit. Mm-hmm. Same thing. I was out there catching their dogs as a civilian. <laughs> I was processing for several agencies in Broward. Yep. Again, I had a lot of opportunities to go to many agencies. Now, yeah. But I, I selected Davie because of the caliber of people, the dogs. I wanted to sure. be blessed, very fortunate to be able to um, get into canine. I was about mm-hmm. off I was off probation probably a month or two mm-hmm. and uh, was lucky enough to get an opportunity to work in canine. And the dog that I utilized was a dog named Bader, mm-hmm. who uh, I saw him take his first breath on my living room floor. He yes. uh, produced my breeding program. And, uh, the, the feeling that I had as far as, you know, getting him through school, mm-hmm. getting him on the street, you know, mm-hmm. getting real apprehensions with him. It was like winning a World Series. Yeah. Know, to most people, they don't maybe give a shit or it doesn't matter. Sure. It doesn't meet that level of excitement. But yeah. to me, it was like euphoric. Man. Yeah. Incredible. And then to watch him progress, you know, I was able to watch him take his first breath and his last. Mm-hmm. You know, and in between those breaths, man, it was an amazing experience. Oh, I'm forever, forever grateful for it to be able to witness that. Yeah. And have that opportunity. Um, left Davy Police Department, went up to Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. Mm-hmm. Um, was there. I was with Davy about five and a half. Okay. County at 12. Okay. Worked two dogs with Palm Beach County. The mm-hmm. second dog that I worked was a dog named Bosco, mm-hmm. um, imported um, to the United States by Tony Guzman from Metro okay. oh, yeah. Services. And Bosco was uh, just an incredible animal. Mm-hmm. He, uh, maybe not impress you so much on the suit mm-hmm. and the sleeves, but this dog's ability to, to track and find bad guys, his commitment to bite and find guys was, was incredible. But yeah. what's even more impressive to him was his sociability, okay. his environmental soundness. My, my daughters could take him to show and tell. He'd sure. run his back. He could scratch yeah. his belly. And uh, he'd go to work, man. He'd hunt, hunt and fight with the best of them on the street. He probably had 60, 70 street fights. Yeah. And uh, had some bad guys do some real bad oh, shit. Yeah. I got in his way a couple times. And, <laughs> you know, so that was I, I was his biggest fan, man. I can't even take credit sure. for you know his success. I just hooked in and he did it. Yeah. He did it. In, in those early stages of my police career is what I really am grateful for having the opportunity to do the things that I learned in the civilian dog training world yep. and apply them into real life, yeah. into the real world of uh, police canine. Yep. Um, Bosco retired at the age of nine. My agency had a uh, policy that nine years old was the magic number, despite yep. the condition, yep. despite sure. health. Yep. I saw that quite a bit yeah. where I was at, too. Yeah. yeah. Admin says today is a day. Yeah. Just lucky that I um, had a very good friend named Bobby Sidhu, who's mm-hmm. a uh, civilian dog trainer, dog enthusiast, but very, very knowledgeable about German Shepherd bloodlines and mm-hmm. breeding. He had imported Zeke at eight mm-hmm. weeks old from Germany, and I began to help them with the puppy training. Uh, their business, personal business, got very busy. Mm-hmm. And they offered Zeke to me to buy him. Okay. I think he was about six or seven months old when I bought mm-hmm. him. 
But I was grateful that from eight weeks to six months, I had sure. some influence in his training, so yeah. I had to see him progress. My original plan was just to use him in IPO. I okay. still wanted to compete. Yeah. I really liked the dog's drives. Mm-hmm. But as you know, nine, ten-month-old dog, I saw some environmental hesitation. Mm-hmm. Was not in love with stairs. Sure. So I was like, eh, you know, just yeah. keep him a sport dog. Then I saw, you know, Bosco's age getting close to that. I'm like, you know what? And I, I was training for the agency at the time. So yeah. I had two cages in my car. Sure. Bringing Zeke on the down yep. low. Yep. Bringing him out. To, I was doing school after school. And yep. Over time, man, I, I started to see that he was handed. I loved his, his natural offensive aggression. Mm-hmm. His mm-hmm. nose blew me away. Yeah. And uh, I saw him making progress in the environmental stuff. So I'm, I'm, we talk, we're going to talk more about raising puppies and things, I'm sure, but. I have a very quick trigger. Uh-huh. He's a very good example of why I shouldn't. Okay. And, and what happened with him is I used existential food training okay. and pressure. Okay. You must go up the stairs. But when you do, here's what a, you get. A magical payment yeah. that's going to make yeah. you survive. And that, that clicked for him. And then once he realized he could get through it, yep. life wasn't so bad. Okay. I remember I put it to the test. I had a, a burglary. Um, or an, actually, it was just an alarm on mm-hmm. to Jiffy Lube. Okay. And the stairwell going down to where they changed the oil mm-hmm. underneath the vehicle. Was Easy. Some yeah. Shit. So yeah. The sprinkler was going off. The alarm. It was dark. Yep. Yeah. So for me, as as behavior geeks, so yeah, you know, that's, that you know, was the ultimate right it. there. We yeah. Got through that. So I'm I'm quick to, to pull the trigger on the environmental shit, but sometimes. So um, <clears throat> worked as Eat for you know a couple of years, uh, about a year and a half actually, mm-hmm. and uh, my career I, I, I left yep. law enforcement yep. early. That's a long story. I won't. Yeah, yeah, you no, no, that's right. Really, yeah. Um, but again, more of God's plan. So sure. I've, I've come full circle. I've been able to start as a civilian trainer, yep. apply those things over a 17-year law enforcement mm-hmm. career. Where I saw some things that were uh, incredible. That things I'm grateful for experiences. I've been involved in a shooting. Yeah. Zeke. Yep. Suicide by cop. Mm-hmm. Guy charged me with a 14-inch knife. Mm-hmm. I, I discharged my gun. Hit guy four times, eight shot, eight times. He went to the ground. He separated from the knife, okay. and I had a window of opportunity to yep. utilize the dog in a way that I could I could place him on the on the suspect mm-hmm. and try to drag him away from the knife. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's a traumatic thing. The, oh yeah, the guy passed away. It's, it's a lot of yep. adrenaline dump. Yep. For me to be able to put that into the things that I've learned in training over the years and put that into motion mm-hmm. is something I'm grateful for because mm-hmm. I can I can express that experience to our students. Oh our yeah. No, and that's a and that's a big thing. Like you said, it's a, a number of different things and variables that are going on in a situation like that. Uh, it, your training is what gets you through something like that, yeah. and then there's still the whole after effect too. Yeah. So, um, and and those are what we, me and you've talked about personally. We know are, are the roots of a lot of the things that you bring to the table now as you train, you know, people, whether it be law enforcement and civilian. Um, you know, the mental aspect to training. Right. It, it isn't just uh, like we say, click and treat and things like that in the dog training. There's the understanding the reasons why we do things. So, um, and, and as we go deeper in this, but I, before I don't go too far, I want to give Mike a chance to kind of talk about, you know, your business partner here who's also uh, going through the class with you. Um, Mike, if you want, you can, you know, kind of cover your story, and your background, because we're all Florida guys, and you can kind of talk about what you've done as well. Yep, uh, I'd like to start today. Thanks for having us in yeah. the uh, class and. Like Justin said, we you know we really want to learn these uh, explosive odors and learn how to be safe around them and, and really make our uh, our facility from here on you know go to the next level and and uh, be able to take that the learning from here and, and implement it into into our system. Mm-hmm. So uh, my background is is uh, I come from hunting dogs and, and 
and uh, working dogs. And ever since I was very, very young, my dad had tons of, of hog dogs and, and we hunted a lot. Yep. And, uh, and then growing up working around cow dogs as well mm-hmm. and, and uh, always had a love for, for the working dog and, and watching dogs get that aha moment mm-hmm. and see it unfold and not having a clue as, as you know, a little bit more of what I do now. Um, then yeah, I wish I would have saved a lot of dogs, a lot of heartache had I sure. known then what I know now. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, raised some of my own litters of dogs and, and, uh, got to work with them and, you know, violent encounters with, in the hunting situations sure. and, and that kind of was cool to carry over into the law enforcement mm-hmm. side. And, and, uh, so I started with, uh, FWC and, uh, which is fish and wildlife and mm-hmm. loved that job and learned mm-hmm. a lot and, uh, was, was taught a lot. And I got on their special operations group where I really got to learn a lot of man tracking and mm-hmm. things like that. Things mm-hmm. I learned as a kid growing up hunting and yeah. living in the woods and, and, uh, an opportunity came open for a canine, and mm-hmm. and uh, I I knew all along that that's what yeah. I wanted to get into, and got through the tryout and the interview, and, and was selected. And uh, I got a phone call one day and said, "Hey, your dog is is at your house." I was at a meeting. And <laughs> the the guy that dropped him off said he's already bit me a couple times, so good luck. <laughs> and uh, it was a, a lab from a rescue in in uh, Jupiter, and. So I got home. I told him, called my wife. Said, "Don't go in the backyard. Don't mess with him." Yeah, I had no idea what what I'm dealing with. And, yeah, and uh, turned out to be a great dog, but one of those challenging dogs that mm-hmm. that uh, didn't have a problem biting me. And, sure. And uh, but I learned from it, just like we learn from every one of our dogs, and whether it's a, a pet dog that we're training or, mm-hmm. or our, our police dog partner. And man, he taught me so much, mm-hmm. so so much. And one of the biggest things I learned was I wanted to get into the patrol dog world mm-hmm. and uh you know doing fish and wildlife detection was was really cool but you don't get a lot of uses in the detection side mm-hmm. and uh we did a lot of evidence recovery for some some big cases and i linked up with uh, collier county sheriff's office and, and their trainer um sergeant gifford william gifford and mm-hmm. he taught me a lot really opened my mind to yeah there's more stuff out there and really that was my intro into marker system and oh, okay clicker training and yep and uh, so I went back to my region guys and said, look, this is a lot more out there. Oh, yeah. Based off of what our system was. And and uh, so, you know, moving forward, I, I got uh, hired by the sheriff's, Henry County Sheriff's Office. And soon, almost as soon as I got off FTO, we mm-hmm. were kind of starting this uh, interdiction program on 27. And I was able to go to Chris Race and, and uh, select my dog and, they nice. pretty much left it up to me, and, yeah. and uh, I picked the dog I have retired with, Nico. And uh, so they introduced me and Justin and, and uh, got to get in their, you know, patrol dog school. Uh-huh. And, man, as soon as I went in there, it was like, mind-blowing <laughs> that I yeah. learned these things through steps and was sure. really kind of starting to piece together things. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I love behavior stuff and love seeing that that's that process yeah and uh you know linking up with justin and, and some of the guys over there was really able to to get into that mm-hmm. and uh get in the suit a lot and, mm-hmm. and get odors out and lay mm-hmm. tracks and, and uh really put that stuff into motion and, uh, you know being able to work a dog like nico taught me a lot because he 
the very strong dog, very mm-hmm. try, you know, very trying dog, and and uh, I learned to to uh, pick fights sometimes, sure, and, and learn the other ones not yep. to, not to pick, and and uh, but man, we I really thought we were a good team in the field and, and got a lot of experience, and, yeah, and uh, had some pretty violent encounters, and just like I'm sure every handler has, and was really able to learn a lot, and I think that's what I try to bring out to some of the handlers that are stuck in the situations that I was in in the beginning, mm-hmm. knowing there was more, mm-hmm. but not being able to quite grasp it. Like Justin said, you know, geographically handicapped, you know, bound yeah. by oh, that yeah. area. Yeah. And uh, luckily, Justin was the neighboring county, and yep. and uh, Giff, Giff was in his, you know, south of me. And, mm-hmm. and uh, But as what we're seeing in Tennessee, there's some areas that are kind of surrounded by not a lot. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. to be able to bring that stuff forward is – to me is really fulfilling and, and be able to have those moments that I had that, Oh my gosh, there's so much more to be able to present that to guys and, and uh, show them that it works mm-hmm. in, in the environments that we work in. And I think that's what I like to be able to have is know that we've had that, you know, Justin's had a ton of experience and mm-hmm. way more than me. And, and uh, to be able to have us as a group and, and to be able to go places and show them that this stuff actually works in the field and, and bring some of that, newer stuff from the, the old days, which has worked, but yeah. we have to keep evolving. Exactly. And that's a, a key thing. So that brings up something that we were talking about before we got on the podcast was what we see the needs are going forward in our industry. And, you know, this podcast is a lot of times dedicated to detection, but this is far reaching across not just detection, but also the dual purpose aspect tracking and so forth. What are some of the, the the things that we spoke about recently were the gaps that we see in the rearing of young dogs to get them to the point that they're going to be working dogs. And you had experience with hunting dogs. And in that community, there's a lot of raising young dogs yes. to turn them into working dogs for yeah. hunting. Um, one of the key things that I talk about and I want to kind of you know expand upon is that mimic training where you're using the older dogs to educate the younger dogs. So from your point of view, from what you experienced in the hunting dog community, how effective did you see that mimic using older dogs to teach younger dogs? How effective was that? And and what did you, and how might you apply that going forward with let's say detection dogs? Yeah. So we we talked about it yesterday is, is having, um, you know, that ability to have a rotation of dogs come through and, and have them watch the next up and, and, and even sometimes hearing, you know, the, the trend yeah. going on yep. is, is huge and, and exactly right. You know, we, we used our, our A teams to train our B teams mm-hmm. and knowing, knowing that someday they would have to step up their game and, yeah. and be put in rotation as, you know, whenever we were hunting a lot, it was mostly seven days a week. So, mm-hmm. so you had your A team and your B team and sure. so on. So, Absolutely. You know, teaching them, um, learning from groups and getting to watch it unfold is, mm-hmm. is a, is a big step. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that's something that we try to implement regularly. Yeah. Now in, in Justin, cause you've done obviously a couple of puppies. What is something valuable that you see with, um, like that collaborative training with young dogs, seeing older dogs work? Um, what are some ideas that come to your mind as to, you know what, this is something I might try going forward. This is something I've tried in the past that's worked. And maybe it's things that may have not have worked that you're like, okay, I've learned that lesson. 
Well, I think we, we did it by mistake back in the day. Mm-hmm. We, were, uh, we had limited time, limited resources, so a lot of times the dogs got tied out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and yep. we were working multiple dogs at once, but what we realized is that you know, we could put an inexperienced dog in the middle and bookend them by two very experienced dogs. It's, mm-hmm. it's contagious. Yeah. It's synergistic. And the dogs can thrive not only from the chemistry that's getting on either side, but the visual cues of things that they're seeing. Yep. You know, of course, with you know a helper, a decoy that understands how to read dogs and knowing when to push, when to back, mm-hmm. when to submit, decrease pressure mm-hmm. is gold, man. But mm-hmm. you know what? Some of the things that I've I am very much a fan of is, is utilizing the ignition training that mm-hmm. I've learned from Bart Bellin. Yep. It's part of the Nipopo system, um, and applying that very early. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we were talking yesterday about puppies and early neurological stem, and yep. and doing things from a very very young age. Um, to set the dogs up for success in the future. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when, when you're preparing these dogs for yourself or to be sold later mm-hmm. in a military working dog application or a police dog, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's scary, man. <laughs> like Mike yeah. and I are not willing to sell a green dog yeah. on train to someone. Yep. We're, we're, we're arrogant <laughs> and we're well, cheap. <laughs> it, well, that and, and you bring up a, a point is we all don't know the backgrounds of others and what they might use. Exactly. And, the value of what we have already with our experience when we go and look at dogs, young dogs to older dogs. And I say young dogs can be from puppies to let's say a dog a year and a half, two years old and know what's there and then blindly trust where the dog might go and hope for the best. We're smart enough now and have learned from mistakes and know how to kind of Set up. We want the dog to be successful. Our number one goal, of course, community-wise, is what's best for the dog. Um, I can train to educate people, but if I hand them this dog that we've all, let's say the three of us, I like, hand-picked a dog, and we hand it to somebody who's unknown, it, there's a significant risk with that. And these days, with the importance of establishing a program within the United States that can supply our own dogs, we can't take gambles at this point. You know, there's two folds that have to happen. One is what we're doing right now, looking for breeding and selecting the right dogs. The second part is the education of the humans on how to best train these dogs and prepare them to use them in the field or, or on whether it be a police officer or military or security and things like that to be best utilized and be successful. And that's a we're in a infancy stage. I think we all agree in our industry on how to do this. The Europeans have decades on us on how to do this. Um, but it doesn't mean we can't do it. And um, so in your experience with raising your, your young dogs, the ones you've raised from a puppy to what would you say is one of the most important uh, values or lessons that you now will always kind of carry forward? Is I treat them like a dog. Yep. <laughs> you know, I speak to them to their instinct that they understand. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean I love them less. Yeah. It just means I communicate, I train, I handle myself and mm-hmm. my facility and our environment in a way that they're going to get educated. Yep. Some of the education isn't always a win-win-win. Mm-hmm. And I think introducing conflicts early in your mm-hmm. training, um, problem solving, mm-hmm. frustration, mm-hmm. Uh, that's nature. Yeah. And especially in Mike's background. And I've never hunted. I went one time with him and his buddies. Yeah. I'll never fucking go again. <laughs> they drove a swamp buggy over fucking trees. He's, oh, yeah, nice. And doing that. Old school Southern boy style. Yeah, my old yeah. man was a suit, so I never yeah. got into that shit. I would have loved to, but it's it's a it's a rough world. It's, yeah, it's when these dogs like you you bring the young dogs out in the pack mm-hmm. and they hunt, bro. It's mm-hmm. you might not come back. Yeah, 
yeah. it's kill or be killed shit out. Those yeah. fucking hogs are vicious. Yeah. So it's not like, but that early experience, man, they have that high, high drive to go out and do. Yep. But the education they get from reality yeah. is gold. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, so nature's got a way of, of culling. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, but I think, you know, just back to what I was saying, like I treat them like a dog. And what I'm fascinated about is what you have done to share your experience. And I think, you know, us going back the way we do and, we all go through lulls, you know. Yeah, it's oh, our yeah. Passion. It's our livelihood. Yeah, we do it because we love it a lot. Mm-hmm. But there's days we feel like we have to. But I think I see a rejuvenation in you mm-hmm. as far as what mm-hmm. you've discovered. Yeah, with this cognition stuff. And yeah. for me, that's that's the final. Maybe not the final. Is never final, but it's sure. a major piece of the puzzle because coming from genetics and selection. Yep. Ignition training. Through, yep. Like I said, through Nipopo. But now you add this addition of the. Of why the brain is doing what it's doing. Yeah. And, and what dimension do we go yep. to create that environment for learning? Or do we not? Yeah. <laughs> we used to think, oh, he's climbing like a spider monkey, he bites like a fucking bear, yeah. but you can't train him to fucking do anything. No. Right? Yeah, no, and that's that's absolutely right, that mental flexibility part. Yeah. Right. So that for me, and, and why we're here, mm-hmm. and moving forward about our collaboration, mm-hmm. is what I'm really excited about. And that's a more of a rejuvenation for me as well. Sure. Because it, for me... If things get plateau, I yeah. get ADD quickly and sure. I check the fuck out. Yeah. And that's why I've been doing this for so long because it hasn't. Yeah. You know, there's always some new shit. And this is a new dimension for me with the cognition stuff. And that's what, you know, knowing you like I do and knowing what I went through when I, when I got exposed to this, I, just like you talked about, it's kind of like a rejuvenation. And it showed me a world of the dog that I had never been exposed to. And like we spoke about yesterday, I'm trying my best to share this information as much as possible. And it's a lot of information and it's so new. A lot is still being researched too. So there's still things that are developing, which is great. Um, but the industry has never even touched this stuff. And people like you that have gone down the path that you have and Mike down the path that he has with the hunting dogs, which is a whole you know the part you're bringing up and I'll come back to in a second later, is all that learning, all of that with that dog how it learns is an amazing thing and not every dog is the same and a lot of our training had been geared towards like a cookie cutter style that we do this we do that um, but we never understood the why and kind of circling back to the whole raising the dog aspect we have to do things that help raise the dog to problem solve they're not always going to be successful and we as handlers and trainers are, are so afraid to let a dog fail. We think that that failure is going to cause them such detriment that maybe they won't do it again. And we have to be willing to let that dog make mistakes, let that dog learn to hunt and to search, because that's the key that makes a dog a good detection dog is detecting. It's not called finding. It's called detection. And we set up, unfortunately, so often things about the find and it's not about the fine. It's about the hunting part of it. And handlers, we talked about yesterday too, was what's the number one thing that handlers uh, struggle with? It's trusting their dogs. And the reason why they don't trust their dogs is they don't set up situations to allow the dog to fail. So they see what failure looks like and then allow the dog to figure out and how to be successful. And you guys just both brought it up. You can't just if, – if these dogs got cut loose and say we all just vanished off the planet, aliens came and took us – all of these dogs would start to learn how to hunt. Would they be successful the very first time they go look for food? Absolutely not. They would have to go out there and try and fail, try and fail. And as they figure out what works, they start applying that and they become actually savvy at it and become very good with it. And if they don't, 
they die yeah, yeah. natural selection. Yes, no, for sure. And then so we can take those broad stroke lessons and apply them in our detection world and say, look, we're going to set up in the beginning. We make it easy and you're successful. But guess what? It evolves. And as it evolves, it becomes more difficult and they have to work for it. And they're working for it comes in that form of whatever that reinforcer is. And then whether you're a sport dog and, you know, the, the tendency in the sport world is to be food and then the tendency in the professional world is going to be toy, whatever it is, that dog is, is going to work if you, you know, use these conditions right and work to get that. And sometimes by not getting that motivates them. And that's something that I think we've been afraid to try and, and to really push forward. And, but with a young dog, it's a great way to start. You, you can take that young dog and allow some failures a few times, but it motivates them and reinvigorates them to try again. And then they get successful. And by us understanding how that mind works, we just set up scenarios for the dog to be successful. So there's only, only maybe a few variables at first, you know, so that way they can try, oh, that didn't work, tried that didn't work. Oh, whoop, that worked. And then I can increase from there. But no, it's, it's so critical that we start going down this cognition path and understand it. Because those of us that are in this industry have that burden to bear now to set up ourselves in the future to be better about being self-sufficient and fulfilling our needs when it comes to these dogs. Um, and I've, you guys probably saw that on the social media. I posted a question saying, okay, how do we do this? Because we've all seen it in the bloodhound world. An agency will take a bloodhound at a puppy and raise it. No problem. Well, I started typing and, and deleting and not <laughs> typing and no, don't hit send. That would have been a, bro, bloodhounds and me. Oh, yeah. No, it's – and but it, it's but so – But now that I don't have to type, I'll say it right here. Go right ahead. Fucking smoking mirrors, right? So, well, in the bloodhound community, because but look at how many they'll accept for failure. Yeah. And then, but then also how many do actually kind of work, you know? And I'm saying work in the sense that the dog will go from, let's say, an A to a B and, you know, depending on how complex the area is or whatever, but the dog will do it. And my point being was it's still a nose activity, you know. So what's the difference if I hand you a Labrador that, you know, we look at and it comes from good genetics and we have a probability of success as we push this dog through our, you know, its early career or its early life in our world? And to be successful at doing that, the hunting world the same way. You take those pups, you throw them in that environment, they progress and some do well, some don't. And I understand there's going to be a risk. There's always going to be. There's still risk when we buy the dogs from vendors and bring them to our department. So we, but where we have a huge gap is that early years of, of education. I don't think uh, lots of agencies should do this. What I do think is as an industry, we need to start embracing this idea of how to educate a dog, uh, how to bring it through the system. And guess what? There's now these detection dog sports that exist that create potential environments of other people who now have an understanding of detection way better than ever existed before. So then you have kind of like what KMPV is in Holland, a, a foundation system that exists um, with the uh, advent of strong good synthetic training aids that are out there you can start having people a community take a dog preparing it and then pushing it forward to then the professional aspect if it's got the tools out there that exist but before we even get that far like we've been talking about there's that huge gap of education ford canine training and consulting ford canine has a number of different seminars where i come to you and do courses such as 
canine cognition testing. Detection using cognition. Canine integration with tactical operations. The science of E, which is a class based on the understanding of remote callers and how to best utilize them. Police canine decoy training. Or if you need me to come out and consult or do certifications under CNCA and PCA, National Police Canine Association, or even California Post. If you need any of these and more, go to my website, www.fordk9.com. On my website are a number of different classes and formats as well as the ability to contact me and schedule phone or video consulting with or about your canine or your canine program. That phone number is 702-706-DOGS, D-O-G-S. Contact me either via email, Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N, at Ford, F-O-R-D, K-Number-9.com, to schedule an appointment or a seminar, and I look forward to hearing from you. Georgia Police Canine Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to help canine units. They do this by sometimes providing equipment that might be needed for a canine unit. Maybe it's training, finding a seminar that they fund to get a unit exposure to some training needs that they don't get normally through the routine monthly training. They also provide funds for retired canines who no longer have the support from their agency for the care as they get older. Georgia Police Canine Foundation is here for you, but they're also looking for donations to help this great mission and to help canine programs from around the United States. So if you're looking to help, you want to make a donation, go to www.gapoliceknumber9foundation.org. Again, that website is www.gapoliceknumber9foundation.org. Are you a canine handler in the West or Northwest United States and you're looking for a different or a new canine conference to go to? Then I would look at the Pacific Northwest Canine Conference. This is going to be held May 18th to the 22nd in Walla Walla, Washington. I have been at the Pacific Northwest Canine Conference now uh, more than a few times and it is a conference where you get classroom as well as multiple working dog stations uh, throughout those days. Um, It keeps you busy. You're not just sitting in a classroom. If you are a person who says, okay, I want some classroom, but then I want to go out and actually uh, apply some of the things that the instructors talk about, then the Pacific Northwest Canine Conference is a great one to attend. Uh, Last year, they had the NYPD Transit Bureau bomb dog teams there. Uh, the instructors and the admin from that program put on a excellent class. Then they went out and did scenarios from lessons learned that they've been through with the NYPD. It was uh, very eye-opening to say the least. Um, this conference is for narcotic and explosive detection dog handlers to include firearms detection dog handlers. For information to sign up and register, go to pnwk9.org. 
That is P as in Paul, N as in November, W as in whiskey, K as in kilo, nine, the number nine.org. So PNWK9.org. Uh, sign up for the conference. Um, again, those dates are May 18th to the 22nd, and it's going to be in Walla Walla, Washington. Are you looking for a good three day or a weekend type seminar? Then check out the Sniff and Bite seminars. Sniff and Bite seminars are ones where we spend a day and a half doing detection and a day and a half doing bite work slash patrol work, depending on what you do. So whether you're a civilian that does sport or you are a law enforcement officer working your dog as a either dual purpose dog or even single purpose dog, check out the Sniff and Bite seminars. I just conducted one uh, a few weeks ago in Ocala, Florida with Carlos Ramirez. And everybody that went through that seminar was challenged in one way or another, whether it be detection or on the patrol side of things, the bite work side of things. Uh, A few of the officers got to kind of see some uh, levels of decoy resistance that they had not encountered probably ever. Every sniff and bite seminar is designed to challenge you, but also enhance your education as to the hows and the whys. And then we go out and actually do it. The next sniff and bite seminar is going to be held here in Las Vegas at Silver State Canine. Carlos Ramirez is going to come to Las Vegas. We are going to do our three-day seminar here, and we're going to add a new component. We're going to add some decoy training and education. So if you want to step up your game as a decoy, then make sure you show up for the sniff and bite seminar in Las Vegas. Detection-wise, we are going to push some limits there as well. You have my playground at Set City, Las Vegas, with all the tools I have on my home turf. So if you want to come and push yourself detection-wise, make sure you sign up for that seminar. The dates for that seminar, February 28th, 29th, and March 1st. Go to SilverStateCanine.com, go to the calendar, go to those dates, click on that, and register. The next Sniff and Bite seminar will be held in Tennessee with Justin Rigney. I will go out there. That'll be held in May. Go to CanineServicesUnlimited.com. Contact Justin to sign up for that one. On a side note, if you do not know Carlos Ramirez, Carlos Ramirez is a fantastic trainer and an excellent decoy. If you get a chance, go check out his website, carlosramirezk9.com. That's Ramirez spelled R-A-M-I-R-E-Z and then k9.com. So carlosramirezk9.com. Go check him out and I'll put a link in the show notes. You know, um, what are some important education points that you guys feel that we got to start tackling moving forward for people? So I think the biggest one is, is uh, number one, knowing my background, my, the first agency I went to, we, we learned a certain way, and that was how we learned, mm-hmm. and, and there was nothing else allowed. And uh, I think trying to get um, some more of higher-ups and trainers and, and things like that to open their mind that there is more stuff out there, yep. and it's better. Just like going back to the Bloodhound, I, mm-hmm. I think that's where – with my prior agency, we had a bloodhound, and he mm-hmm. was trained a certain way, and and uh, it was horrible. It was mm-hmm. shit. Yeah, yeah. There there might be occasionally. Yeah, you know, it was just shit. It yeah. was absolute junk. Yeah, and there are systems, and 
the one I put him through was what we learned from, mm-hmm. from Dick Stahl and, mm-hmm. and uh, the dog was very, very successful. Yeah. And, but it took com- complete control off delete mm-hmm. from that. And I hate saying old school in a negative way, but sure. that's where we come from, uh-huh. but we have to evolve daily. Absolutely. And if we're not, yep. we're failing these dogs, mm-hmm. failing these handlers, mm-hmm. failing programs as a whole. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's what we see a lot of, you know, where we're at now is that, programs some don't exist anymore because of that mindset mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it's this way or it's no way mm-hmm. and yeah i wish that we could get more in command staff ears and, and trainers ears and say just pay attention to it yep. just open your brain to it yeah because once you do and you get dirty with it mm-hmm. i promise you mm-hmm. we can show you it works mm-hmm. in in very distracting environments mm-hmm. i mean south florida was a was a target enriched area as yeah. far as dog work and mm-hmm. But you get in some of those bad areas, and and if your if your tracking's not wired really fucking tight, yeah, you're not finding anybody. Yeah, yeah. It's, you're just out there wasting time, mm-hmm. and, and the road doesn't trust you, and the yep. program goes backwards. Yep. And so that's for me, that's the biggest one is get in there and say, look, just grab them and pay attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. My problem with the the breed or the idea of the whole thing is that it's it's not a nose problem. Mm-hmm. I think science has told us that they have a genetically yep. super nose. Yep. It's it's a heart problem. So they love the sniff of it. Mm-hmm. It, it is a self rewarding behavior. Mm-hmm. Whether they're on target odor, whether they're crittering or sniffing yep. other dog piss, yep. they love to sniff shit. Yep. What is the reward system? Yep. So you put the dog in this high state of drive with these fire tracks, these runoff tracks, right? So yep. it's an eye game. Yep. But that breed happens to default quickly to their nose. Sure. So that the whole fire track system, and they get to the end, what do yeah. they get? Hugs and kisses. kisses exactly. All right. So yeah. the bloodhounds I have had my hands yeah. on, which sure. are not a million, yeah. are fucking assholes. Yeah. They're nerve bag <laughs> pricks. Yeah. They fucking bite the lady at Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. They fucking bite handlers when they're trying to take them out. So yep. their big prize for putting their nose down in the ghetto in South Florida in mm-hmm. August at a hundred fucking million degrees in the pavement mm-hmm. is hugs and kisses they don't give a shit about. Yeah. But for me, that's where I, I don't get. I'm wide yeah. open. I never saw his bloodhound, but sure. I, I trust what he's saying. Yeah, and I know the reboot that he did, so it's yep. possible. But if yep. they're living on, I don't, I don't like some. I've had people tell me they bite like toys sure. and shit. I've never yeah. seen it. But is it enough? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But so I got off. I, I digress a little <laughs> no, bit. I just, right. I just had to cover my perspective. They, <laughs> yeah, they are no, out there. And I got some hound people. Sure. Pissed, so. No, it, it, you know, we all have it. our perspectives. <laughs> so you get that. Let's say you have your. You've got a new class. you got some handlers come in. What are the important lessons you're starting off with to educate these handlers? And, and we'll keep it on the detection side of things. What are the important things that you want them to understand uh, as they start this career to be a detection dog handler? What are the key things that you're going to start pushing towards them? We, we break it down to very, very simple shit. Number one, why does a dog do what it does? Mm-hmm. Have to, we, we spend a lot of time answering that question. Yep. A lot of times we go into the hunt and the – the aggression and the, the environmentals, we go fast forward, but we don't break down the bare criteria of why he's on the earth. Yep. He's a predator. He's yep. a survivor. Mm-hmm. And the things that he does are to find his advantage in every situation, yep. which simply means increasing good feelings in his life yep. and decreasing bad feelings. Sure. And they're hardwired yep. every minute, every second of the day to fulfill that agenda. Mm-hmm. And we tell our pet clients this. We tell our patrol dog handlers, our sport competitors. Mm-hmm. I broke my wife's heart when I explained this to her. Because they <laughs> believe 
People believe that dogs work for you or they do mm-hmm. things because they love you. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. It satisfies their pack instinct. Mm-hmm. So by being with you and doing shit with you mm-hmm. fulfills that instinct. Mm-hmm. So when you when you break down that simple sentence and you understand where a dog's brain is coming from, it allows mm-hmm. us to connect with them on their level. Yes. As, as the dominant species on earth, it is yep. our role and responsibility to communicate the, with these animals in a mm-hmm. way that they understand. That's a key thing right there because yeah. so much of what has transpired over the years has been our interpretation. Right. Uh, we have not, or we not until recently, really started focusing on, wait, maybe how does that animal learn, whether it be a dog or anything else? What does it do or what makes it successful? And now that we start to apply this, look how fast or how much better right. training is happening. Uh, training, the efficiency of the training is in- increasing dramatically. Um, so the, the understanding the why obviously is extremely important. And then what's the next thing that you kind of look into? You kind of make sure that the handler is following or, or understanding or applying. So for us, it's, it's reading the dog and yep. understanding back to what I just said, his motives and why they do what they do. But mm-hmm. how can we create an environment? How can we create a learning design mm-hmm. to produce the behaviors that we want? Mm-hmm. And if we create an environment where it's the dog's idea, yep. it is their plan mm-hmm. and it meets their agenda and mm-hmm. meets their needs. It is the gospel. Mm-hmm. We inject ourselves into the equation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're doing it with good intentions, yep. but it becomes this pack conflict or pack competition. Yep. We start working against each other. Yeah. Right. So anytime that you can create a situation where the dog is meeting their needs and it becomes their idea, mm-hmm. it is the gospel. Mm-hmm. Allison Grubb just put this meme up this morning. About, uh-huh. It's this little Yoda looking fucking thing. Yeah. It's, it's like a cute little thing. Yeah. He's, he's sipping a cup of coffee and he yeah. goes, me looking at my supervisor freaking out over the problem that I was telling him was going to happen <laughs> months before. But again, when it's our idea, it's, it's not as cool. Yeah. So we, even with our pet dogs, we make sit down, go to place, come with yep. us, look at us, heal next to us, their mm-hmm. idea. Yep. And it fulfills their, their need and find their advantage by doing it. So the psychology of, of, of American law enforcement officer, male, mm-hmm. female, doesn't mm-hmm. matter, is that we are type A yep. problem solvers. Yeah, I will make you do this. Right. I will get you to do that. And, and we are going to get involved with the equation immediately. Yep. And it's yep. so hard for us as humans, right? And being involved in these applications, these occupations, yep. and having that mindset that we have to do to survive on the street, uh-huh. and then we, we put our gear to the side. Now we're dealing with an animal with a whole different mindset. Yep. That's the hardest gear to switch. Oh yeah, and I think that um, you know with with detection, you know we keep going on detection and and mm-hmm. uh, going back to the hunting world. We, we didn't have a leash on anything. No, they they learned their yeah. own way. So what I try to convey to handlers is. Don't go in. Go into an area with a that you're going to search with a plan, mm-hmm. but be prepared very quickly mm-hmm. to abandon that plan. Sure, that leash is to get them there. Yep, and to keep them out of harm's way. Yeah. Other yep. than that, yep, we, we have to, and, and that's where building an independent, confident dog to me is everything. Yeah. It, oh, absolutely. And it's like you're saying, you know, that Type A personality. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna go in here and we're gonna do A, B, and C. Yep. I'm going to present this corner and then right, present that right, edge and then right, this and then that. Right. And then all of that human involvement of constantly like, check this, check that, check yep. this, gets in that dog's right. way. Get the fuck out of the way. Yeah. Stay out of his way. Yep. And, and it, to me, the, the, for me, the number one saying that, that I say a lot is the learning is in the struggle. Yeah. Stop fucking helping. You're yeah. not helping. Yeah. You think you're helping, but just get out of the way. Yeah. And let the dog work and, and let, he's got the nose. Yep. <laughs> You block him from something thinking because you need to go over here. Mm-hmm. And you fuck him over and over and over. And, and, and I, 
I I'm always careful not to make the pendulum swing too far because I've seen it where uh, handlers then go so far the other way they just stand there and don't do anything right, right. Yep. and then so I I'm always I want you know as we talk about these things it's critical to let the animal do its job it has the nose it knows what it's doing don't overthink it don't get in its way too much you also have a responsibility to observe the environment and know what was checked right. what wasn't checked yep. and yeah you can't just hope that the dog does everything However, you have to find that right balance, that right. dance with that dog that you know, okay, it's doing its job. Oh, wait, no, it's distracted now. Okay, come over back over here or whatever you, whatever you might do. And when it gets back in the game and it's searching, you step back again, let it do its job. Your main purpose is that interpreter to know what it's telling you and then how to relay that information or process that information and take it from there. Um, that requires trust. And this is where a lot of handlers who don't know or don't have the experience yet to read the dog on those subtle things, you know, one of the things I talk about commonly is most handlers struggle to read their dog when it's telling them there's nothing there. We're all pretty good at reading our dogs when there's something there, but we struggle on being confident and telling and, and, and saying, my dog's telling me nothing. There's nothing here. It's time to move on. Oh, I saw that little sniff in the corner. Let me go back over there again. And like I said, that type A personality that you guys just brought up steps in, and they were like, go check it again. You, you might be wrong. Go there again. And by that third presentation or staying in that area, what does that end up telling that dog? Well, there's got to be something there. So this goes under communication, and uh, all three of us here are definitely on the same page, um, that the evolution we've been talking about has gone into marker or bridge uh, communication to dogs. Um, I'll let you guys kind of talk about your experience and the effectiveness of that in detection dogs. And you guys can bring up what we talked about earlier. One of the things that we've seen as a pitfall that's started to occur as, as the industry has definitely adopted it. I've seen, a, we both have all seen a lot more dogs being used with this method now in communication for detection um, but talk about what's worked for you guys and why it's important. And then one of the things that we've all seen that's been a, uh, a pitfall that's come from it. Well, even a step before that, like if you're asking like what I educate these handlers on, if it's a green dog and a green handler, the very first thing is ignition training. Mm -hmm. is, is Of course, finding out why the dog's doing what he's doing. But ignition to me is the, is the purposeful, um, dedicated energy about being task-driven, they want to accomplish something. Why? Why? Why are we there as humans? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> what's What's driving us to to certain? Why have I done this for twenty seven years? Sure. And you thirty years? Like, yeah. what is it? What is this? The compelling force? Yeah. And for me, the the biggest eye opener for me is has been existential food training. Mm -hmm. So, if you look at when dogs get in conflict that have been trained with a traditional prey aggression delivery, with a delivery of a toy over the head, yeah, that that, that encompasses that moment. In detection if it's been trained that way when the dog gets frustrated in a prey aggression system with all your help he's going to fast forward and accelerate into looking for those helps and also and what i'm trying to describe is stevie wondering looking back yes. and forth looking to you for help yep. but even you separate that like and in going into this cognition stuff is like what what's going to activate a dog's brain more mm -hmm. The existential need to find food to survive, mm -hmm. or a fucking toy that he doesn't. It's gonna, yeah. and, and he's in a clouded mindset of prey aggression, wanting Correct. to sink his teeth into something to bite. It's a whole different gear yep. than using your mental capacity mm -hmm. and that mental freedom 
to unlock dimensions of conflicts where you can find your advantage to find that food. It's going to make yep. a, it's, it's a, at times an equal amount of drive. Mm-hmm. And we sometimes mistake body language, energy, movement as drive. It's, mm-hmm. no. it, it's yeah. energy getting displaced. Yes. It's not focused ignition to a task. Correct. So when that, again, with existential food training, this is a big, big fucking sore spot for me yeah. too because of my background and my law enforcement base. Yeah. But, um, it, it just creates that, that, Deep, deep desire and that high, high level of drive, but also the concentration. Yes. And it will continue to go and go and go. And some of the videos that you have in your PowerPoints are, are fucking amazing. But those animals are on existential food. Yep. At some point in time, if they can't find their fucking toy. Yep. They will go self-reward on some other shit. Yeah. Snipping, yeah. Pissing, scratching. Grabbing pillows off a sofa, right. car they, seats, they want the door handles. Teeth, you know, yeah. Right? So that's it's for me. It's a whole different world. Yeah, I'm a big I'm a big toy person too. I like yeah. to have the toy later. Yeah, no, it's 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 exactly right. I use toy all the time. Toy is still one of the things. But when I'm teaching, I'm using the food because exactly what you just said. We have the ability to create learning. Learning happens faster because the mind state is at a calmer uh, you know uh, state of mind, and they're willing and able to learn and process information. Uh, I'll throw this question out because this was something that came up on Facebook. Do food? Do dogs have, that are trained on food have less drive than dogs trained on toy? Well, no, but it, and there could be obviously varying degrees, man. But it's whew, you can talk about reward history. Yeah, like in South Florida, if we're training outside in August, man, three or four yep. Kong tosses, yep. you're done. Yeah, and, and and of course you have to have clear outing. Mm-hmm. The only yeah. outing <laughs> problem you have with food training is when he shits in your yard later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So to me, it's it's an it's an amazing tool, and a lot of times we're scared to go there. Yeah, and that's where you know um, the methodology that I was taught very beginning with my first police dog was we don't train on food because whenever he comes out, he's not hungry, he's not going to work for you. Mm-hmm. That's such bullshit. Yeah, it's complete bullshit. If they're trained properly on the existential system, you don't live on it forever. You can, uh-huh. but yep. you don't have to. But mm-hmm. He could eat a 20-pound turkey yep. and, and still understand the rules of the game because mm-hmm. the learning was at such a higher state, mm-hmm. so much clearer. And just mm-hmm. like you said, there's so many arguments had over you know the toy and the outing and the, the relationship oh, yeah. damage that's done there. And, and you only get half the learning and, and more you know cloudiness and muddiness mm-hmm. in the whole situation. No, and the other thing that gets brought up, they'll say, oh, dogs trained on food reward are more apt to, to false indicate. Right. Uh, or, or they're more apt to, um, uh, they're, they're going to lie to you because they want the food. Is, is there truth to that? No, I don't believe it at all. Yeah. At all. And, and I think where all that other bullshit comes into is where the training is done, relying on help from the handler and uh-huh. the dog manipulating that system. Yeah. And, and once you've stepped in a gazillion times and presented a gazillion times because you think you have to. Yep. Like you said, when you go to that area the third time for that presentation, the dog says, "Okay, fine." Yep. And it's just it's a, it goes down a wormhole that is very hard to get out of. Yeah, not only is it easy to disprove that dogs trained on food are going to offer uh, false indication behaviors because anything done in the scientific community when it comes to validating information such as odor recognition and things like that has always been done with food dogs. Yep. Dogs, most cases that come from a rescue or a pound or whatever, dogs with a tenth of the drive that we get to work, and they are the ones that are actually being used in the scientific standards in which we're going to be measured by later on. So to say a dog trained on food is going to have 
a false indication problem or be more prone to give false information is absolutely false in itself. It shows a lack of understanding. Now, with that said, bad training is bad training no matter what it is because all of us both on this podcast and in this room right now can tell you I have seen hundreds upon hundreds of dogs give false indications that are trained on toy Mm -hmm. to the fact that I could, if I presented numbers, there's more dogs that give false indications based off of toy than dogs based off of food. So the argument goes right out the window, just taking pure facts to the equation, not just, oh, my experience, I've trained my 25, 30 dogs in my area, whatever, and I only use toy. I only use toy because that's the only thing that's true. My dog won't false indicate when I put a toy in the room. Um, let's yeah. We can test that. Yeah. But I can easily do the same thing with food. If I do my training properly, I don't care what it is. Like I said, every dog I work and train and put out there always is, is a still a toy reward dog. But my learning process is right. begun with food. And then my last reward in that sequence is always going to be a toy. But does not make it sound training is sound training. Yeah. We can all point fingers and say this training sucks or that training sucks because probably how it was being applied sucked and was problematic and they they were uh, the process itself was flawed not the training not using that food or, or using toy was the problem it was the training methodology and how it was applied is was the issue was that so it's, so it's clear to the, put in layman terms mm-hmm. existential food training means the dog only eats in training yeah. every every calories consumed through wanted earned behavior there's no free shit Mm-hmm. And there's a science about how to do that. Mm-hmm. But moving forward, like our very first distracting odor is the same food that we are paying yeah. the dog yeah. with, with rewards. So yep. they learn very quickly that does them, and it's there's no aversive control, there's yep. no punishment. It's simply nope. you don't get paid. Yeah. And they understand that deal. But later, I will use aversive control. Mm-hmm. Found food becomes taboo. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're tracking through the, you know, urban environment mm-hmm. there's food and garbage and shit Everywhere. there are not going to be dumpster diving trust yeah. me that is again it's another component of your training yeah in the, in the beginning stages of it they have no access to it they can't achieve it there's no mm-hmm. there's no winning by trying to go mm-hmm. after the reward food or other found food but later we will get you for it. you yeah. understand that those rules clearly yeah that's the, the big step is the rules are clear yeah the, the rules are very clear and that's and that's important because again it goes back to the human understanding how to communicate the methodology in which they want to train their dog. And when your experience is the two or three dogs that you may have had or the exposure you've had to a unit with X amount of dogs in the belief system of that training, you're going to be limited based off of that. Back to the thing we were talking about a few minutes ago, we have to be willing to evolve. We have to be willing to listen to the other arguments presented when it comes to training so that way we can apply the best me- the best methods for training dogs for dogs to be successful. Yeah. If we want to stick our head in the sand and be the alpha personality and, well, this is, works for me, I'm just going to do it that way, be fine, do that. Yeah. But the rest of the industry is going to pass you by. Exactly. You know Whether we like it or not, and I'll let you guys answer this, how much has science invaded our dog world in the past, let's just say, 10 years? Tremendous not a lot, not a lot till recently. It has, and we've thrown around buzzwords like yeah. proper conditioning, classical conditioning, not really understanding what it means. Yeah, but I think it's it, you know there's so much benefit to social media. That mm-hmm. It could be the devil's website. For yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. But the dinosaurs that only want you training within their tribe don't yep. want you going outside the unit. Right. Yep. You can't hide anymore. No. They're they're dying off. Yep. And, and the millennial influx of their their 
affluence or their you know understanding technology and yeah. how to utilize and manipulate it. Yep. You can't hide, man. You nope. can't hide from the fact that this information is out there and uh-huh. accessible. And it's mm-hmm. backed up. Mm-hmm. No, and, and, and the, and the, what we're, we've been talking about while you guys have been out here for the past couple of days for the training is the forensic sciences now are labeling and giving credence to the dog as a sensor, as it's always been. We've known it that way and we've used it that way. Right. We just never applied, uh, the measures and how you, you know, quantify and control that sensor and validate that sensor until now it's becoming more commonplace. We, you know, the legal system took our word for it based on our experience and we could show that it worked and we, but we didn't have the scientific measures, the fry rules, the things that are out there legally that define what science is and how it's applied to the legal system. Well, now it is. And the funny part is at the canine cognition center at Duke, literally two blocks away is Duke law. So the law school is right there yeah. at the hub of the dog place, walking distance. Um, as these papers get published from the amazing research that is out there, where is both prosecuting and defense attorneys going to be able to go to to read now? You, you know, they're not just relying on our information. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stump the defense team by dropping my three pounds of training records on the table and saying, "Go ahead and read all my stuff." They they don't fall for that crap anymore. They're just gonna find in the research out there that says, "Well, do you are, do you do this?" Okay, you say you do, but I don't see it documented. Are you documenting that you do X, Y, or Z that validates or calibrates that sensor that shows that it's reliable or that at least meets a reliable standard for probable cause? And that's what's really going to kind of ignite, you know, as we talk about the education part, we all know, we all three have seen it and lived it. Law enforcement is reactive. Very rarely is it ever proactive and says, you know what, let's get out ahead of this issue and prepare ourselves. No, we will wait till a court case comes down. Supreme Court finally will rule on it and say, here's what you have to do. And then we adjust. At least there is some eye opening, like you brought up, Justin, that's happening that goes, you know what? Me personally, I don't want to be that guy that goes, that, that is that, that case that goes all the way to Supreme Court that everybody gets to read about and does this. Um, so the evolution of how we communicate to dogs through a, a bridge and marker based system. We know scientifically is far more effective than trying to bomb a toy in from a distance. There's no canine magic, people. There's no magic that exists that you have that the dog is completely fooled and believed that you don't have the toy. So stop wasting the time where the dog is basically wasting efficiency in its search to pay attention to you to see when you might do something. Uh, we know cognitively the do- there's no other animal on the planet that has the ability to read our communication and our intention better than a dog. So if we come into a situation with a mental bias to something, we have the ability to affect that dog. Mm-hmm. But if we have sound training practices that eliminate that aspect, it doesn't uh, nothing can be taken out let's say 100%, but if I can dramatically reduce the ability of the dog even caring about me and my information other than working in that area that I'm giving it to search and then indicating to anything that might be found there, well, guess what? Now I've created a far better, more reliable information system that then I can say, is there something here? Is there not something here? And is it reliable and meets the eyes of the law? So the the old ways of doing things, like I joke around, 
I'm not saying they don't work, but do we still do reports on typewriters, right. or do we actually use a computer now? And that's that's uh, that's a perfect example. Is I used to get banged up all the time by older guys. Well, mm-hmm. this is how we always did it. Yeah, yeah. We have cars now and, and yeah. radios and computers <laughs> yeah. and, and night vision. It, it, and yeah, and yeah. Look at these phones. Yeah, I know. Now. Yeah, exactly. So why is that example thrown in my face? Yeah, clickers are only for puppies. And yeah, and food will screw you on the street. Yeah. It's it's this picture that keeps getting thrown to these guys, and they get stuck in that. Yep. And 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 I I believe a lot of the times it's not because they've seen and can mm-hmm. say, well, I've seen it work, and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just because they heard it somewhere mm-hmm. from somebody, mm-hmm. and and it got passed down the line, and it it just you know it kills the whole system. Oh yeah, no, I and I employ you know. The, the funny part is, you know, the vast civilian audience that listens to this podcast that does the sport of nose work or scent work, they adapt super fast mm-hmm. because they're, they want at the end of the day to have a successful dog and do well in their competitions. Right. So they're willing to make those adjustments. And the funny part is they are paying every time to do this, where as a professional industry, we are getting paid to do the job and there's legal things. And then we want to stomp our feet and go, I'm not doing it because of that. Exactly. I I implore the audience, if you're on the professional side of things, be willing to listen, be willing to evolve. Don't just stick your two feet in the ground and say, well, I'm just doing this because it's always worked for me. I understand that. I get it. But take into consideration, listen to some things, apply what might be out there, look at resources, just like you said, Justin, thanks to the generation and our phones and all these things. There's a lot of information at our fingertips, both dangerous, but both very useful. And, you know, there's a lot of things that can point in the right direction and say, this is what you should be listening to. This is what you should be reading. And this is what you should be following versus some of the crazy stuff that gets put out there. But don't just sit in your little tribe, sit in your corner. Uh, this works for us because you will get passed by and heaven forbid you end up being that court case that the rest of us all get to sit here and talk about and point fingers, you know, all of us being from Florida, where do most of the more recent important court cases come from Florida. So, uh, you know, we have lived it and seen it <laughs> firsthand and, and been there, but it's so important to reach out to individuals like you guys and what you guys are doing with canine services uh, to help in that education. I mean, you guys are in a whole new area. Being out there in Tennessee, uh, one of you guys talked about, and we know this, the information doesn't get spread as quickly like it does in metropolitan areas. And there's a lot of steep tradition in areas just because they're an agency with 30, 40 officers in it. You know, they've had that same canine guy for 20 years. He's now retiring, and now there's a new guy in there. And all he has to go from or she has to go from is that trainer that trained them. And the biggest thing to understand, there's a definition between science and a craft. You know, craft is something that's passed on from generation to generation to include the mistakes. Science is a system based on collecting data and how can we improve. And this is where the dog world, specifically detection dog world, is going to is that science-based method. So reach out to your area. Reach out to individuals like you guys that are out there to share that information and to learn from it and then start applying it. We don't expect you guys to flip a switch and change everything overnight. We don't want you to do that, but we want you to be willing to learn and to listen to podcasts like this where experts like you guys are out there to share that knowledge and share that information. This, this is where it's at, man. I understand what happens on a day-to-day basis in law enforcement. I, I'm, I was the biggest fan of law enforcement the last 17 years, which sometimes I'm surprised I made it that long. 
but it's it's the society doesn't understand the epidemic that, epidemic that's going on and, and what's happened over the last few years is that these these corrupt police administrations the war on cops these state attorneys not prosecuting anything it's created a very lazy lazy cop sure so it's not going to be the case it's not going to be the fact that you hung up your shit a couple months ago or a year ago because you're going to hide under a tree and be a re- reactive firefighter, not answer a call, not go mm-hmm. after shit proactively. It's going to be a case that happened several years ago mm-hmm. that a dude's looking at new charges, new time, or they want to flip, whatever it may be. And I know down in Florida, some of these cases went on for years. Yeah. And then they're going to use this new information to fuck you on a case that happened years ago. So yeah. if you don't get your shit together, and what we're talking about very simply to break it down is, is the packaging, the handling. Yep. Is, um it's the environments that you're training. It is the the, the physical connection, the gestural communication, mm-hmm. the influence you're having on your dog's alerts. Mm-hmm. It is your training environments. It is all these totality of things that we're talking mm-hmm. about. And exactly, and the documentation of all those actions mm-hmm. is all they have to do is trick a jury. Yeah. Of folks that couldn't get out of jury duty. Yeah. So let's, let's be yeah. about that shit. No, that is so true because, it, you know, it, Everybody gets wrapped up of, you know, when they go to the training session, putting training odors out and this, that, and the other, but they're missing the big picture. Like you just said, how are we storing these odors? How are these odors handled? Then what are you doing in your training that keeps that dog effective and not influenced by you who is easily influenced by the environment? And, it, you know, it, they're looking at those things. And are you documenting those things in your records? And how are you documenting those things in your records? How often are you going out in your training and doing searches that have nothing in them? Because what does reality have? Reality should have a lot of searches with nothing in it. But if your training is always something in it, what are you creating the expectation of the dog? And then going back again to cognition, we know contextually how dogs learn. And through that context, the dog's going, oh, this is training, this is reality. Over here, I can get away with this, and over here, I do this. Over here, you act like this, and over here, you act like that. Think about the success rate in the real world, though, too, yep. especially in tracking. Yep. Oh, yeah. These dudes aren't doing bank robberies on foot. No. Right <laughs> so yeah. you're going to acquire human odor, target odor, and beam me up, Scotty. He's gone. Yep. These dogs have to learn to manage and thrive with, with no success. In a patrol dog school and proficiency training, yeah. it's always been a 100 percent success rate. Mm-hmm. It's not reality-based training. No. It's not at all. No. Doing, doing uh, six rooms with, with six hides. <laughs> that, that you know we talked yesterday yeah that doesn't impress me at all no do do 10 rooms in one hide mm-hmm. maybe no hides because mm-hmm. to me it's disqualifying areas mm-hmm. it's saying there's nothing exactly and calling it clear yeah and going to the next that takes way more confidence exactly when and that's why i tell new handlers when you get to that first car to run on mm-hmm. the side of the road mm-hmm. you're going to run your dog around the car just like you do in training and you're going to be walking him back to the car going what do i tell the guy that's got it stopped you yeah know? I got to tell him it's clear because the dog mm-hmm. didn't give me anything. Be mm-hmm. confident. Mm-hmm. Be confident in that. Do it. And go on about your day. Yeah. And documentation. You know, handlers. I think not all, but a lot. I see get into it for the stickers on the car, the drop holster, the vest. Yeah. Oh yeah. You, you've <laughs> got to do reports. Yep. You've got to. You've got to do your. Oh, there's a lot of. There's a lot more work for working the dog right, than just having canines yeah. stuck on the side of your car. Yeah. And, and having all that gear, there's yeah. way more to it. And if you don't do it, you're going to be that guy that fucks the system and, and that we're going to be talking about that case. Yeah. No, and going, sure. why did you do that? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. So, uh, again, I'm thankful for you guys to come on the podcast and take your time. We've had a lot of fun uh, the past couple of days being here and, and sharing stuff. What we will kind of uh, you know tease a little bit to the audience here is 
we have already collectively ourselves, uh, along with Carlos Ramirez, Michael Nesbeth, Jay Nix, um, we all kind of share that same vision of making sure that we take uh, the step forward in that evolution and start helping educate handlers and trainers. And the through each of our separate businesses, we have come up with models of education. And now we are going to kind of collaborate and share those efforts and start doing more projects where we're uh, either be in the form of a seminar, coming to your area, doing classes with you guys, uh, putting you in those elements, both just in not just detection, but also patrol and tracking as well. We are also going to do things like webinars. We are also going to do things like our typical schools at our each of our individualized businesses with that common core goal of that education. And because of us coming together, we are now sharing the information. Uh, one of the things I'll be doing moving forward is training Justin and Mike and, and Mike and Carlos and everybody else on cognition. Uh, I've now spent the past almost four years learning it. Uh, I go around and do my seminars, but now it's time to take it to the next level and train people like you guys and others that want to learn how to teach these cognition tests to others because it can't be just you know one person out there trying to do it. It's now the education, the science is there. Now we got to start sharing it, and I got to start educating everybody else that I can that's willing to learn it how to do this. So listeners, uh, reach out to us. Uh, I'll let you guys kind of share how do people get a hold of you guys at Canine Services Unlimited and, and where do they find you? So we, uh, our Facebook page is, is uh, Canine Services Unlimited uh, LLC, and um, we're working on Instagram getting that going. Um, we also have our Yelp and Google pages that, that you can go visit, and our website CanineServicesUnlimited.com. So we're our our phones are always open and available, and and uh, we will always take phone calls, and we're we're here for uh, for just like the guys we're talking about, mm -hmm. and, uh, and trying to bring that stuff. Are you guys going to be doing any uh, nose work sports stuff in the future with your guys' business in your area? Yeah, we'd like to for sure, man. I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm a fan of it. I, mean, I see the, from the marketing standpoint. Mm -hmm. It's a huge avenue. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Man. Yeah. But to get those dogs that are not Ferraris built to race on the racetrack. Sure. It's very similar work. It's yeah. Very cool. And, and there's a huge, like, as your guys' area is a growing area for it, too. And I'm sure Maze listeners that are in the sport of nose work, uh, you guys also have a lot of cool areas. You guys are building what you guys are calling it the olfactory. Yeah, so you guys will have your own version of like kind of what I've been doing out here in Scent City, Las Vegas. You guys will be doing there, and I, I can tell you from the the feedback from people that do nose work that come out here, you guys building something like that in your area is going to be a huge important thing. Um, I know the other thing that we got coming up is the uh, sniff and bite in May that I did in Florida. We'd now be doing at your guys' place coming up, uh, like I said, in May. Um, and we'll have you posting links to that. Yeah. Um, that's open both civilian and law enforcement. We had a mixture crowd in, in Ocala, and it was another eye-opening experience. Uh, and I know I have – I look forward to uh, doing that with you guys there at Canine Services Unlimited. For sure, man. Looking forward to yeah. yeah that will be tracking and detection. Perfect. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So – with that said, again, thank you guys for coming on the podcast. Um, listeners, if you guys have any questions, comments, send me an email, Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N, at Ford K9, F-O-R-D-K number nine dot com. And until the next episode, we'll talk to you then. Canine Services Unlimited. 
Canine Services Unlimited is owned by Justin Rigney and Mike Lilly. It is located in Loudoun, Tennessee. If you are looking to step up your game when it comes to training your dog, uh, or even if you happen to have a pet dog or a you are looking for some nose work training, contact Justin and Mike at CanineServicesUnlimited.com. They have a great training facility. Those of you that know Justin and Mike, you know you are getting solid foundation, very clear canine training with your dog. Uh, those in law enforcement have known Justin, uh, know he is a hardworking individual. Uh, he does amazing classes on canine power biting. He is well-versed in the knee popo style of training. Uh, and those who don't know what that is, you should look it up. Um, even in detection, those principles are also applied. Canine Services Unlimited, again, located in Loudoun, Tennessee, canineservicesunlimited.com, or their phone number, 865-455-5191. Again, if you're in the central part of the United States, if you're near Loudoun or Knoxville, Tennessee, I highly recommend contacting Justin and Mike and seeing how they can enhance your training, especially if you're in law enforcement or those that want to do nose work in that area, those are some great guys to get with. Again, canineservicesunlimited.com.